Yeah, and then they're definitely picturing how like lunch would roll out with this person yeah. they're thinking about in mind and the lead dude with his, you know, Oxford shirt tucked into his pleated khaki. <laughs> <laughs> He's making that dude. He's making that dude pick off the dollar menu because he's paying with a church card. He's trying to be a steward. setup you get a little greenery some whiteboard action love that labeling on that door back there what is that what, what does that say youth youth group closet it's an air-conditioned room <laughs> love church buildings man Every, everybody's got like their own little spot it's all labeled yeah it's it's worse than a it's worse than a machine shop bro I always love, <laughs> I always love working at the church. You get that random email in the middle of the day from like the the uh, children's ministry director wanting to know like who took her lamps. All right, who used my lamps? <laughs> Where's my legal pen? <laughs> who who's who's been using my candles and my lamps? <laughs> Youth pastor replies. <laughs> Doesn't even hit reply all. Because <laughs> he's scared. <laughs> yeah, or that. He's scared. And then he, so he figured it out, but now everybody else is still wondering and email him because he didn't hit reply all because he doesn't know how to freaking email people. Yeah. And what's best is he doesn't even fully own it. He, he passes the buck to some troubled youth kid that everybody in the church knows. But they don't say oh, anything. Well, I told him to go up there and look for this lamp, but I didn't, I didn't want him to take your lamp. Because his parents give a bunch to the church. <laughs> so nobody really says anything to him. He got he gotta expel from the school. And his and his punishment is he has to go work with the youth pastor every day. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Parents are all sitting down with the youth pastor the week before, really just dialing in on how the, how they're gonna fix Johnny. <laughs> they just know that if he comes and Watches you do nothing all day long. He's <laughs> gonna be cured. So what I what I love is like you know this happens on a weekly basis across the states. And that youth pastor's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this. Like he's all like pumped up about it. First day there, go out to breakfast, have the serious conversation. Then he's got like some stuff mapped out for him to do. First thing, read this book. I got this book for you to read. Yep, you go yep. sit. Go, you go sit in that quiet room. Get some time alone with God. Yeah. <laughs> what what, what book is he giving him though? He's giving him like Wild at Heart, or he's giving him uh, John Crazy Piper Love by Chad. John Piper Desiring God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you went to the church I grew up in, you're giving him Desiring God by Piper. Here's 400 pages, <laughs> which is 390 pages more than you've read in the last two years. <laughs> Youth pastor's giving him a book he hasn't even read, but he heard about it. He heard it's good. He heard it's good. <laughs> Old Deacon Emerson's been talking about it for a year. Deacon Emerson wants all the small groups to go through this. 
Everybody needs to hear this. It's going to change Everybody. everything. Whole Pastor direction. needs to preach on it. Small groups need to go through it. Yeah. Everybody needs to get aligned to this book right here. Year later, John Piper finds out that his book was turned into like a series that's being passed around the country, complete with graphics and handouts. He comes out from his, his hole, similar to what Saddam Hussein was found in. <laughs> he's, he's down there. He doesn't want to become a monk and let everybody know. So he, he dug a freaking little tunnel in his office. <laughs> hey, uh, it looks like Dr. Piper's car hasn't moved from the church <laughs> in a year. He's, is he really that committed? He, he's tunneling home. Man. He's figuring something out down there. Dude, what makes That's it stuff. so funny, though, is it, we, I think the reason why we, we both laugh so much about this is because we know from experience that this is true. <laughs> this really happens. Oh, it has happened. Oh, yeah. It's happening still. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I literally can rattle off names right now of kids, similar situations, parents in my office back when I was a youth pastor, man. <laughs> 17, 18 years ago, <laughs> right? Sitting down, talking with me. We just, we just want Johnny to come and hang out for the week. He got suspended. And we didn't have a cool church building with like some killer couch room that you're had to go lay down in a pew, bro. <laughs> read that book I gave him. You're like, all right, listen. Go find, uh, go find all the offering envelopes that kids doodled on this past weekend. We gotta get them out of the pews. That's a bad look. Go get them broken pencils. Let's get all them things resharpened. Oh my gosh, man! No, I had it worse because one of my first gig at a church was I was doing maintenance and I was doing college age ministry, and so literally it was both things. It was, all right, here's this kid that's suspended. And I was like, you know, the tattooed pastor on staff who can totally relate to the trouble. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so it was not only the last the maintenance guy, because then I could have him like stack chairs, set up rooms, like all that kind of stuff. Dude, I was getting that stuff all the freaking time, man. Man, if little but, uh, Johnny's going to listen to anybody, it's, it's Tony. <laughs> He's yeah. got tattoos. Yeah, you got that. You got that pastor. Oh, my God. All the pastors too. with. All the pastors with a, with tattoos know because you clearly have a past. You clearly, clearly have a story yeah. that can totally connect and yeah. relate. And everybody thinks that their cousin or their brother-in-law or their nephew or niece would totally listen to someone talk about God who has tattoos. So they, you need <laughs> to meet my so-and-so. You need to yeah. meet my so-and-so. They would totally listen to you. Yeah. And on one hand, like it's definitely um, it's honoring, right? That people right do connect with you, and they and they they do appreciate like the story of what God's done in your life, and and they appreciate how you share, or talk, you know, or talk about things, and how you, you know you can relate. So on one hand, it's like yes, thank you, and yeah, and then they're definitely picturing how like lunch would roll out with this person yeah. they're thinking about in mind, and the lead dude with his you know Oxford shirt tucked into his pleated khaki. <laughs> He's making that dude. He's making that dude pick off the dollar menu because he's paying with a church card. He's trying to be a steward. (laughs) (laughs) 
Stop scratching that. Scratch that. Oh my gosh. You can't get the big night. You can't get the big night on sale. Oh my god. <laughs> it's so true. Where I'm over there like, yo, you want an appetizer? Blow that budget. <laughs> you tell you that dude, there's some fine dining, man. <laughs> it's on me. We're gonna hit the arcade when we're done. Oh my gosh. I'm crying. I'm crying. Yeah. I'm laughing so hard. I'm crying. Dude, yeah, it's it, been a it, while it, since I told <laughs> church stories, man, and laughed about this kind of stuff. And it's hard, man, because, you, you know, you're trying to look back at some parents and like, look, Johnny needs somebody in the resurrection business. <laughs> it ain't me. I mean, I can, I can love on him and let him hang out for a little while, but most of what I'm doing all day, he's not going to be interested in. So it just never, it never, right? It just never plays out the way people think. No, never plays out. Never plays out. Speaking of things that don't play out the way we think that they would, would uh, be our our topic today, our person of our person of interest, our category of church minister, the church planter, the yes. church planters. Speaking of dreams dashed on the rocks, <laughs> <laughs> disillusionment, discouragement. <laughs> Dashed upon the rocks. <laughs> Disillusionment and discouragement. <laughs> if that was not if that was not an alliterated church phrase, I don't know if I've ever heard one. As soon as you shared that, every parent in that, in that auditorium was like, nope, he ain't it. <laughs> there ain't no way Johnny's listening to this dude. <laughs> Like Spurgeon wrapped in tattoos. Oh my gosh! No, but we're <laughs> yes. talking about we're talking about church planting today. We're talking about church planters. Yes, yes. Which is a topic for everyone listening to this. Seriously, because if you're thinking, well, that's not me. Believe me, there's there's there is so much in this story that plays into all of our stories. Yes, and um, in regards um, to following Jesus. So today we're talking about church planting and through the lens of a fictional couple called. The Brewers. They're they're from Milwaukee. They are great town. I just made that up. I don't I don't really know where they're they're from because we made them up and they don't really have that detailed of a background. But what we do know about their background is the Brewers met at Bible College. They got married before they graduated. After graduation, they jumped into church ministry. Right, church staff got a ton of experience preaching, lead ministries, outreach, counseling. They're that like young, energetic couple. They're getting asked to do do everything 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 so on the advice of his lead pastor also known as his boss uh mr brewer uh decided to pursue a seminary degree while juggling all church responsibilities and their you know growing growing family because that's yeah. that's the path you go to right Bible college then if you're going to be serious about church ministry you got to go to to seminary and miss mrs brewer is leading right there with him on totally. staff at the church right kids at home so this is definitely uh a juggling act, uh, to say the least. But they're committed. They're committed, man. They're committed. So, and they they take the seminary route, which isn't easy on a family. But you know, they 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 buy into it. They believe in it. And um, during those three years, uh, the Brewers they get increasingly interested in church planning, and they start expressing a desire to plant a church. And everybody in their home church is super aff- affirming a- a- of this. They've been watching them right up, up close and, and personal for the last number of years, and they just affirm their giftedness and, and the fruit that they're bearing and all that. 
So the brewers are, they're excited for seminary to wrap up so they can begin uh, the church planting process. So with this heart and with the green light from their local church community, they submit to that, right? And Mm -hmm. they start working through a list of the top 20 least church cities in America. They then choose a network to help with assessment, coaching, financial assistance, accountability, ongoing friendships, all the rest. That's check two. Check one would be pick the city, right? They land on a city, they pick a network, and through support, they begin fundraising. And uh, they, they get enough raise for their first three years. They build a core team and they're, they're ready to move. They're ready to go. So they move, they get there. First two years are equal parts fun and challenging, right? They're fun because they're getting rooted in their neighborhood. They're getting rooted in their kid's school. Everything is new. They're exploring the city. And they're very, very intentional about meeting new people. They're really kind mm-hmm. of approaching this how, how a missionary would just approach living in a city. And they're laser focused in on, on people. The local roastery, uh, the brewers are big fans of, of coffee uh, because they're awesome people. And the local roastery serves as a very, very nice free office. And they're meeting a ton of people there. And they're very open about what brought them to the city, right? Yeah. They're, they're telling them their story and all that. And the people that they're meeting, they're not so much interested in attending their very small but growing gathering, but they are interested in connecting with the brewers. They're building a ton of friendships, which leads to, right, like fires on the patio, dinners, hangouts, birthday parties. They're inviting friends over for birthday parties. They're being invited into uh, birthday parties. So they're gaining a lot of friends. At the same time, their core group is doing well too. They're connecting with them. But these two worlds have yet to merge. The people that they're meeting at the roastery and in town and at school who they're letting know why they're there. And then their core team, which is like their church planting team, that's growing and that's going well too. The gathering's starting to grow. But these two things are are yet to to merge. So like any good church plant, and you hope for this and expect this, the the church begins to grow. And when I mean the church begins to grow, like the gathering begins to to grow, right? And as it does that, it requires more and more of the brewer's time. And it and it starts to pull them away from the friendships outside of their their church family. And now the office has moved from the local roastery to the new church facility that they got a lease on. And it was at this moment, right at the end of year two, where they started to get a sense that maybe church planting and reaching their neighbors might be at odds, which is a big, it's a point of tension because they thought the best way to reach their city and those, right, who don't believe and are quote unquote far from God or outside and uninterested is to is to plant a church. And so the beginning of year three, these these tensions are growing increasingly, right? Because year three is the year like you stop counting on fundraising dollars. All the fundraising money's running out. And it's also the mark where most church plants die and no church planter wants to be a church planter that failed or to plant a church that fail. Yeah. So they're definitely, they're definitely feeling it. And so they're, they're starting to realize that people are open to them. They're open to spiritual conversation, but the people that they're meeting who aren't interested in their gathering, those people are not going to be able to fund their presence in the city. Meaning they're not going to be buying into tithing and giving money and 
all those things. Cause the brewers are banking on that. They're banking on a, to build up a church budget in order to kind of fund their presence. Right. In, in the city and the people that can and do get tithing and giving and all that, those are the people that are making up their, their church plant. Those people can fund their presence in the city, but like what usually happens with church plants, those people are wanting more and more. They're wanting more and more programs. They're wanting to know about Bible studies. They're wanting to know about, you know, insular discipleship programs and retreats. And what about, you know, youth group and junior high ministry? And what about women's groups? And right, all the stuff starts starts coming up. All the stuff starts, you know, piling up. So yeah, that's 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 their tension. So I think you're beginning to get a sense of the picture that we're painting. The brewers yeah. come to this city because they have a massive heart to see good news spread to every man, woman, and child. And they want to see their church grow with people who are saying yes to Jesus for the very first time in their life. And their first two years, they were meeting a ton of people like that, but they weren't interested in their gathering, but they are very much interested in friendship with them. At the same time, their church gathering is growing, but it's mostly people who are kind of like used to going to church gathering. So it's yeah. mostly like, it's mostly Christians, right? Who are moving from other churches or whatever. They meet the brewers. They're cool. They're young. They got a fresh vision. There's new opportunities for people to serve. And it's exciting for church folks to get, you know, be a part of something like that. And so they're, try they're starting to feel the tension. Like these two things are at odds. My plan was to build a life here in the city based on giving, tithing, and support from people who are coming to my gathering. But the people that we really truly want to reach, they're not coming to the gathering and they're most likely not going to be tithing to this mission. And so now they feel a bit stuck because they didn't come to the city to start a church service filled with Christians. They came to be on mission and to help equip others to do that too. And these folks that keep asking for these programs, they are, they're more resorting back to that old church story that they knew growing up, you know, the things that kind of serve the body. And even though like they spent a ton of time, the brewers did on the front end of, you know, bringing some missional training in and some discipleship training and stuff like that. It seems like they're just resorting back to what they, what they know and they're not grabbing onto the vision. So the brewers feel alone and they feel very, very conflicted. And so the reason why I said, stop me if you've heard this one is because this is a very, very common story. And if that's your story, please know that we've been there, right? We've experienced mm -hmm. that. Russ, I know you've definitely experienced that. We have people in the network that have experienced that. We've met yeah. planters, you know, over the years and who this has been their story. And so maybe you've heard this or maybe you're on the front end of this story and you're stirring, you're on the beginning part of that. And so what we're here to say is like, hey, there's good news for us in this. Because even though there is a lot of tension in the brewer's story, and there is some definitely some pitfalls to fall into, it doesn't have to be that way. And maybe there's some things that we can rethink on the front end as we approach this thing. And so, Russ, I want you to kind of chime in here. As you listen to the brewer's story, what is kind of like the initial thought that you have for someone, a couple mm. that's like this, who we're, we're nailing their story and their heart for people on the head, but they're going about it right through this kind of like traditional conventional church planting route. Yeah, man, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, just to concur with you, I, I've definitely been there and 
felt the tension in a few different places and worked through that. And I think uh, if I had to answer that now in light of what I've seen happen and what we've been able to be a part of, but also like the stories that we've interacted with from coast to coast for quite a number of years now, I would say that, yeah, there is good news. As you said, there really is another way forward. And I think it really just starts with what I say, like one daring question. And that's, hey, what if you what if you, uh, what if you planted a movement of the church in a city instead of a church? Hmm. What would that look like? How could that change things? How could that allow you to, right, to tackle a bunch of the things that you have a heart and mind for in a new place? And I think that really does call us to something different. It calls us to, uh, into something that's very challenging, but at the same time is extremely life-giving. So I would just say, hey, if, you're, if your goal is to connect with people looking for a church, then planting a version, as you said, right, of what they know and are looking for is a great idea. Not knocking that. But if your hope is to bring good news to a people or, or to a place who are outside, outside the church and you know a lot of people are uninterested in it, then you're going to need a different plan. And I know for me, when I heard that at first, it was from a guy that spent a number of years in doing U.S. ministry very effective and then went overseas into Europe and saw some pretty neat things happen. Some things that go far beyond like what we've seen in the West. And when I first started hearing some of these conversations back in like 2005, I pushed back. And so I'm sure there's people who are listening to us right now that could push back on that as well. Because you start to jump immediately in your mind to like the insta-famous pastors, right? Of some modern churches or liturgical churches or the new hype realm, right? Micro church. But I would just caution everyone, you know, before you push back, a couple of things to note. One, as we know, a lot of these churches that we're seeing that are, that are so popular, they're not growing from the 70 to 80% of society that has no interest in a church gathering. Right. That's not where they're growing from. Where they are growing is through a lot of transfer growth, and they're also growing from people that are in crisis, uh, which I'm, hey, amen, all for it. But that's not, again, that's not growing from the majority of society that feels pretty good to go in life. And they're also all you know limited based off their structure to the number of people that they can house in gatherings. Right. Which means, right, that, you know, all the public buildings available where you are through campuses or more church plants is not even going to put a dent in the need. Yep. So I just share that with anyone that's, that's in this conversation or whether they're, they're leading in it or just a part of it or have a heart for it in whatever capacity. If you've got a heart to reach people that are outside and uninterested, then I really want to just challenge you to think about planting a movement of the church to a city instead of a church. One will will get you a, a really neat community, but the other will allow you to bring good news to a city. And I think there's a few things that are pretty tangible to that, right? There's a few things that are practical that people could think about in regards to, okay, so what are some things we could step into differently then? We naturally can't unpack all that, right, on a podcast. But I think, you know, you and I can both just speak to a few of these things and hopefully pass on some encouragement here to our audience. Yeah, so... I think the brewers learn the hard way of what the reality is, you know, in the West that most are outside and uninterested in, in the church. And so as your church plant grows and you gather people who want to get behind church planting, they have an idea of what that looks like. And you begin championing, right, platforms and atmospheres and experiences that are really only conducive for, for church folks. And yeah. You just can't get past this reality that if you really truly want to see a movement of the church and good news spread to people who are outside and uninterested in the church, you have to spend your time outside of those atmospheres and outside of those experiences. But dude, that that vortex is pulling you in, man. And it is a strong one. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Because here's a, like what I found. So the second time that I planted was in Chicago. 
you know, going there to, to begin a new work. And I had stepped out of a church plant that we had led for five years in Asheville. And I just remember leaving Asheville and, you know, moving into the city, right? This, this like major city. And we didn't live in the suburbs, right? We moved like right into the heart of the city and we loved it. And of course, we're, we're foreigners day one showing up. But I, I just remember like it was yesterday, man, looking at my wife after being in the city for about six weeks and saying to her, this feels really weird. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, no one here knows our names. No one here knows our story. And I don't think any of them really care. Like it just hits you like a brick, man, that you step out of this place where you're leading something and you got staff and a bunch of people and you got all these friendships, right? You're in that vortex that you just mentioned where there's all these people around you that like what's going on and they want to be a part of it and they're giving to it. They're showing up and there's all this excitement and friendship. And then you move to a new place and all of a sudden that's gone. Right. It's, I mean, it's gone. Like there's, I couldn't walk into a store. I couldn't walk into a restaurant. I couldn't walk into a gas station, man, in Asheville and not see someone I knew. I don't, no matter where we went, every day of the week. And all of a sudden, right, the only people that know me in this city of 3 million people are the four people, right, that I should say the three other people that live in my home and our dog. And that's it. And so I get the, uh, I get the vortex of getting pulled into all of a sudden you're doing something and a bunch of people are jiving with it and they like it. It's natural, right? To find yourself just moving more and more into that. Yeah. It's hard to move away from that to really just spend time, right? right? With the people that you actually have a heart for because that's difficult and it's challenging. And they don't think you're Bible answer, man. They're 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 not uh, they're not clamoring for your attention. Yeah. And so I think just knowing that and just I guess in a sense I'm just passing on like I get it, man. Yeah. I get the pull towards the other. Right. But what I found is, man, if the heart is, is a movement of good news to people outside, there's a few things that you can do differently, like truly do differently where you're at that allows you to not have to alienate yourself from the people that are coming around, right? That are actually open to this thing and are about this thing and still be able to spend time loving on the people that, right, that you came for. So speaking of those, those things, if like a planter is listening to this podcast, which we've made this podcast for planters. So we hope that you are listening and we're glad that you're here. There's, there's a, a recipe, right? That they, they think that they need to champion. And right now yeah. we're challenging that we're saying it's not going to be primarily Sunday gatherings, right? Preaching these kinds of, these kinds of things. So that's getting challenged a little bit. So let's speak to some of those, like, you know, those things that they, they think are going to be the primary engine and mechanism to reach the city. Let's start with, let's start with preaching. Church planters need to reevaluate the importance uh, and the primacy of preaching. Yeah, that's, that's a hard one, you know, for people to wrap their minds around because we've been taught that it's just so effective in the process of, you know, making disciples, but yeah, right now the planters roll it like the mind's going through the Rolodex of all these verses that are, you know, supporting preaching. And then they're like ready yeah. to call us on our cell phone and, and list them all to us. Yeah. And if that's you, I get it. I like I did that for years. Um same. Uh, but I would say from just what I've seen in the scriptures, what I've seen in human history, and what I have found from personal experience, I would just caution everybody and say, Hey, before you write us off, consider this. You've got 50 plus years in the US of just elevating preaching to an all-time high level. I mean, we've got the graphics that go beyond anything we've seen before, the video element, right? The polished techniques. Classes. You know, oh my gosh. You know, just now that, you know, just the use of the internet and, and the ability to get it out there to anyone and everyone, right? Fingertip right there. There it is. 
you don't even have to you don't even have to come to the gathering it's it's you're talking a, a major emphasis for 50 years okay that said you got a 50 year straight decline of conversions can we just agree on that yeah. can we just agree on that and say maybe just maybe highlighting, elevating, okay, focusing on equipping over preaching, equipping people to walk with Jesus in a way that they can help others walk with Jesus and doing it in the way that Jesus, right, that we see him doing it. Yeah, here's the other clue is the research that Barna came out with a couple of years ago that only 17% of churchgoers have heard of, have heard of, and can give an answer or articulate what yeah. the Great Commission is all yeah. during a span when preaching's at an all-time high. So there it is, right? 50 years of just intense focused effort on preaching, 50 years straight decline, right, of baptisms, and less than 20% of the body of Christ can even tell you about the very thing that Christ called us to go walk in as his body in the world. Right. So I think we can just like kind of land on that and go, all right, preaching is not a bad thing. Don't mishear us. But it seems what I have found um, over the years is that, man, when you can begin to elevate equipping on your calendar above preaching, when you can, when you can pour more focus and right and effort into that, something really cool comes out of that. Yes. Something really effective, something that begins to empower two groups of people. So check this out. This is what I found. The church people are going to show up to your thing and they're going to show up with an ABC idea of God, church, and mission. It's what they were handed. It's what they know. So therefore, it's what they're looking for. As a church planter, even a church leader, you're going to do your best to create a better version of the ABC that they know and want, right? Yep. If you want them to plug in. And so what I found is, man, if you can spend more time equipping them, which is probably going to be more relational based in the fact that Jesus said one, two, three, not ABC. There's a whole nother life that Jesus has actually given us as his body than what most people I find showing up to church are looking for. If you can spend your time equipping them in that, not only can they go walk in that, not only will they begin to value and choose that and stop pressuring you to create all the programs, right, that they thought you were going to do better, they'll even be equipped to start discipling their friends and neighbors where they're at. And so by focusing on equipping, one, you can start to train up people in the harvest, the 70% that are outside and uninterested, you can begin literally teaching them to go walk with Jesus where they're at because you have the time for it and the focus on equipping. Simultaneously, you're equipping the 30% showing up with the one, two, three version that Jesus gave versus the ABC version that they know. Right. And between the two, check this out. You're empowering a movement of good news to 100% of your context. Yeah. You've got a plan in place for empowering both sects of people. The question really for our audiences, do you have a plan for that? Yeah. And we can't get into all the nuances of that on here. Right. But just just seeing that as like an umbrella focus, you know what I mean? Uh, seeing it as a like, here's a major shift that you can make to see a different culture take shape where you are. So here's what's going on in a planter's mind. Yes, I think most would agree. Yes, okay, I wanna, I'm, I'm committed to to preaching and to the Sunday gathering. I'm also committed to to equipping. I know that there can be ditches, you know, to fall into. Maybe they do, maybe they don't have an equipping plan. We're going to get to that in a second. But here's, here's the tension for any pastor, no matter if you're a planter or if you're an established one. Sunday's coming. Yeah. It's, the sheer, it's the sheer amount and the rhythm of that church gathering because we have to meet every week. We have to do this every week, right? Yeah. I mean, could we possibly deviate from every Sunday? Uh, no, no, you can't. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you can. And I think that's kind of what we're doing here is we're saying, man, we, we, we have, 
I feel like I have found a freedom in Christ to reimagine just how to go about following Jesus in the world and how to right, invite others into that. But you are correct in that there is a tension in the structure that we have. But I think that just goes back to what I was saying earlier about the whole ABC verse one, two, three. The people that are you know wanting that weekly thing and only giving if they're a part of this weekly thing right to support your time in the city, you start to see how all this connects. Yes, they're going to want the ABC that they know and they want a better version of it. But the more time you spend equipping them in the one, two, three version that Jesus gave, the more they begin to believe in it, value it, right? And even pursue it. Mm-hmm. And I think that starts to el- relieve some of that tension and allowing you to find a broader base of people now to pull from in regards to reimagining the church gathering. So if there was a point one in this podcast, it's right, it's a uh, start start to reimagine, you know, this re- reevaluate, I guess you could say the importance of preaching. And secondly, reimagine church gatherings. Yeah. Start thinking through when and where and how to meet with people that you've got a heart for both in and outside the faith. Mm-hmm. Start thinking through, uh, hey, uh, listen, we know that people people need to stay connected and be loved on and learn and be encouraged and coach as we go in this. So what if we started thinking through how we go about gathering so that one, everybody who's with us has time to actually go spend with their neighbors. Right. They're not bogged down in all the church calendar. Two, we've got environments that are specific to connecting with people, helping people connect with each other. But we've also got environments that are specific to the ongoing coaching and caring for people that are making disciples. Two different places, two different conversations two different audiences. And what if you pulled back and started looking at that for your city and went, man, what if we got creative with this? What if we didn't have to do some Sunday service every single Sunday? What if that gathering could take on a different shape and form? Maybe it's monthly, right? And maybe there's smaller gatherings over here. And again, we can't unpack it all on on the podcast, but I think we can push for, man, when you start to reimagine that gathering through the lens of of people's time and needs and the different audiences that you're after. You can get pretty creative with that in a way that allows for ongoing connection, but also allows for people to have the time that they need for ongoing relationships. Yeah. And it's not even so much like, let's be creative for creativity's sake. Yeah, I'm not talking about candles and music here. Let's get cute for the sake of being cute. I think it's just a very, it's a a very basic practical thing that there's only so much time and, and you can't be stuck in a church office as a planter getting ready for Sunday every single, every single week, right? In order, if you're going to, if you're going to implement a culture of this and sadly, let's just talk about the reality in the church world that people do and get excited about what leaders are, you know, excited about. So you need to be, you know, modeling this. This needs to be a part of your life as well. And from the brewers perspective, they were, they were doing that. But I want to encourage you to really, truly embrace that freedom and to truly embrace that creativity because the most I've ever heard from a church planter is, yeah, man, we got this month where there was a fifth Sunday and we just told everybody, hey, we're not going to gather this week. Have your neighbors over for a cookout. Yeah. When there's like, that hasn't been modeled or seen in anybody from the leadership team ever. It's just like, (laughs) it's just some great commission excuse that you gave so you don't have to do a fifth service in the month. Yeah. And then you get to say, oh yeah, man, this thing, man, we're doing like, oh, we told them to take the fifth Sunday off and you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, bro, man, like, dude, truly embrace the freedom there truly embrace that idea, like head into it. Yeah. You can't program it. I think that's kind of what we're getting at. We're not talking about a program thing that you put on, 
right, to accomplish this task that you have. Because when it's program-based, it's always going to be centered around key leaders, money to pull things off, and time to do it. So if you do something weekly on Sunday, and that's that, that has to be the only way to go forward in this, then you're also setting up something for everybody else that joins in with you that they're going to have to go do the same thing that you've been doing wherever they go in the city. Because again, we're talking about we're talking about bringing good news to a city here versus just planting a church. We're talking about going beyond just a cool community forming to good news to an entire people. Yeah. And so you have to almost like pull back from it far enough that it stops looking like a program that you're trying to implement. And instead you're going, let's gather when and where needed to encourage, to connect, okay? And to equip people that are walking in this. We're gonna need a few different environments we're going to need to do it in a way that's very easily reproducible through the people who join in. We're going to do it in a way that doesn't demand a bunch of money so that people actually have money to bless the people that they're connecting with mm-hmm. instead of having to give it all right to paying for this thing. Right. And we're going to have to do it in a way that allows them to have time to be with their neighbors. And so when you pull back from that and you look down on your landscape, you might say, yeah, what if we gathered monthly for this bigger thing? And over here we were doing you know, uh, uh, an ongoing revolving door group where we're equipping people that has a start and an end date, right? It has a season. Right. And over here, we're circling up with people that are actually walking in this, but we're not doing it in a way that they're bogged down. Because if we go every week Sunday, plus missional community, oh, by the way, we also need to have time to pour into those leaders of those missional communities. I mean, right off the bat, man, you just took every bit of margin they had to actually go do the things of Jesus among the people around you that aren't coming to your stuff. Yep, there it is. So you touched on something that's a very important piece that's really contributing to the tension of the brewers and it is the idea of finances. Let's take a minute and just briefly touch on that cuz that's that's a tricky thing, the financial thing, right? Recently the bivocational and co-vocational conversation has been booming. It's gotten a lot of press. It's gotten a lot of buzz and, and rightfully so it's good. We saw it as early as, as early as Paul, who would be considered the greatest church planter ever. Any church planter that's serious about this has studied the life and ministry of Paul. And we know that at certain times he built tents. He, we know that he was used to having lots of means and, and he was used to being poor. He experienced the ebb and the flow of all those things. Yeah. When you rethink your financial plan outside of, I'm going to raise enough money for three years, I'm going to build a church gathering, and based on a principle of tithing and giving financially to this, we're going to be able to set a budget that's going to be able to fund my presence in the city and pay me a salary. We already saw in the Brewer story the tension that comes along with that. The people that actually get that and are giving, they expect church to be a certain way. And with a myriad of options for church in the, right, in the city, they can leave and go to another one at any point in time. There's a real, there's a real temptation to keep those folks happy, especially like the, you know, like the, the monthly, the faithful givers, right? Yeah. So when you, when you alleviate that and you start to think to yourself, man, maybe I can pick up a part-time job. Maybe I can start a business. Maybe I can do some freelance work. Maybe I can get creative with how I'm viewing my long-term presence in the city, that now all of a sudden there's not a string attached between you and people, especially people who might not like this whole equipping thing if they don't grab onto that, right? Right. 
There's not a string attached. The pressure to move in the direction they want and to cave to those consumer impulses, it's not as it's not as strong. And it's easier to really be objective about what your true mission is in the city. So we encourage church planners, rethink your rethink your financial plan. On top of that, when you actually go get a job in your city, the thing that you really want to be doing, it helps that because you're mixing it up with people in the city. You're yeah, forming man. friendships. This has been the last four years of my life. I went from being a pastor who my primary thing was I was stuck in an office and I was prepping sermons and I told everybody else they ought to be going and loving their neighbors all while I had zero long-term sustained friendships with anyone who was outside the faith. It was completely just a theory to me and God broke my heart of that. I was like, okay, there's got to be another way. I can't equip people unless I'm in these relationships and feeling the tension of like being in the world. Right. And so I'm just like, you know what, man, I'm like, I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to go mm -hmm. mix it up. Cause that's how I was formed. That's how I became, that's how I like kind of grew as a young believer was just swinging a hammer and carrying good news. to blue collar dudes in Northwestern. Right. And all the freaking crazy conversations that came from that and how that pushed me into studying and thinking and learning and all that. And so man, for the last four, Four years that's what I've been doing I started at a wood shop I transitioned to a branding agency now I'm back to a wood shop and doing the branding agency thing helping some friends who are doing you know a, a small local roastery doing some sales and stuff like that dude the amount of conversations and friendships of people that I've met over the last four years the ministry that I've been able to do it, it nowhere close to being stuck in an office and Russ I know that that's your story too because I was down in South Florida about a month ago and I experienced it first mm. so you don't have to because I think the brewers were experiencing some of those friendships at the roastery but you have to give your time to it and what we're saying is you can kill two birds with one stone you can alleviate your financial uh, burden from having to get that budget to a certain point Right. And you can also merge that with meeting people in your city. Yeah, man, I couldn't agree more. And I think you already hit the nail on the head when you're talking about just the combo that you gave there. You can find work in the marketplace. You could start a business or a nonprofit to bless your city and support your family. You can raise some support like a missionary, like a long term missionary, part of also what Paul did. And uh, you can do a combination of the three, right? Or maybe you add a fourth one in there and the people who join you, you know, they give as well. But when the focus becomes, the empowering of the church, right? The planting a movement of the church to reach a city versus a church in the city. These are the things that we have to really consider. And the money is always going to be a real key factor. It's always going to be a point of tension. But man, when you start to to rethink that is through those through the lens that you just offered, I think your story, my story, and a lot of other stories can point to, man, there's a, so much that comes out of that. Yeah. So much opportunity. And here's one of the best ones. When you meet somebody at a local pub or you talk to somebody sitting next to you on an airplane and they say, hey, what do you do? You don't have to kill the conversation immediately. And if this is your job, you know what I'm talking about right now. Yeah. When you say, oh, yeah, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Instead, right, you get to say I'm right, a writer or 10 years of conversations like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean like you can tell them that you're a writer because you, you know, have a blog <laughs> for your church. I'm yeah. saying this. There's something that's cool, not just with the rubbing of the shoulders with the people in the marketplace, but even just all the way down to being able to be a fellow person with them. Right. It's not a law. We're not passing this off as law as much as we're saying it's an opportunity. Yeah. And, uh, and a reality. We're just passing on a yeah. practical reality because I've, yeah. I've watched 
my neighbors shift in their posture towards me over the last four years. The first, the first two, three years we were here, I was full-time, you know, ministry. Now the last four years that we've been here, I've been doing this Bivo thing and the conversations right over beers and, you know, over a fire on the, on the driveway, they've just really shifted. They've really, they've really changed for the good and for the better. Also too, here's a financial piece. If you move to once a month, right? Like a bigger kind of gathering, that's a lot different than, than paying for a spot four times. Yeah, for sure. So now all of a sudden you start to get like a little creative with how you're doing this and you're in this flow of gathering and scattering and equipping and those kinds of things. You're working a job. You're alleviating that a little bit. You're not as much, right? Dependent upon a building, so to speak. Now all of a sudden financially, man, this starts to be a little bit more feasible for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, and you get to champion all the different elements, the home, the public spaces, right? And then even just a larger private space, it's not killing your bank. So I think that's it, man. I mean, we could keep going here for sure. Yeah. Let's know, wrap up by talking about our plan for equipping, which we've spent the last five years putting together and, and crafting. It's been, uh, it's been, um, it, it's, it's harvest harvest tested, right? If you, <laughs> if you will, our, our reclaim training is just now rolling out. It's in book form. There's a reflection piece of a journal. We spent um, an entire year talking through each chapter. There are nine chapters, including an introduction. We talked about them in a conversational way uh, with our podcast a couple of years. And we have a video piece that is available with that as well. And the reclaim training was uh, was started by you, Russ. And after I met you, we were able to kind of like uh, really just, you know, develop it and uh, build it out over the last uh, number of years. And we've been watching people really come alive, come alive in freedom and good news, understanding the freedom we have as the church, and also some very simple things that we see in, in Jesus and in the New Testament church by way of discipleship and also a framework for how we might see right communities form and gospel spread across the city, especially among those outside and uninterested in the church. And the training's called Reclaim. And we crafted it for people exactly like church planters who have a heart to reach a city. Yeah, that's it, man. It's It's a great piece. It's a, it's a cool learning journey. You can read, listen, reflect, watch, share. It's uh, I love that phrase you use. It's, it's a cheesy phrase, but it, but it speaks to who, right? We're talking to it's harvest tested. It's not theory. It's, it's, it's practice. It's real life with lots and lots and lots of stories of different people from different places and different backgrounds from coast to coast and beyond. So if this is your heart, if you're thinking about reaching a city and you're wondering, okay, I'm hearing what you're saying. I see the shift in this. Um, I'm hearing what you're talking about when it comes to just reevaluating, right? The importance of preaching and reimagining church gatherings and even rethinking finances. What does that look like? tangibly. How do we go about that? How do we equip that so that it becomes a, a legitimate culture within our within our city and not just something that we're sitting in a room constantly talking about and hopefully trying to get out, right? Through just a few of the means that we know and missing out on so many opportunities because of it. So if that's you, check us out. We're here. We're for you. And we're also living in this thing alongside of you. So reach out to us at thetablenetwork.com. There's plenty of information on there and you can click, you can jump right in or you can click the contact button. We'd love to chat, see how we can help you best. We'd love to meet you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for giving us your time. Hopefully we can connect.
Thank you, Tony.